Tēnā koutou, I'm Karen Hay and thanks for joining me for the New Zealand Society of Authors Oral History Podcast, where we dive deep into the archives to hear New Zealand authors share their experience of living as a writer in Aotearoa. late 1950s, Ray Grover was part of a small Wellington literature circle which included Morris G, Fleur Adcock and James K. Baxter. Shortly after publishing his first novel, Another Man's Role, in 1967, Ray joined NZ and quickly became involved in the executive. By 1974, he was president. Years later, in February 2000, Ray sat down with Alison Gray to talk about those times and why, so soon after joining, he became actively involved. If you were in Wellington, um, it was very hard to say no. <laughs> and I suppose my comment in that, that there was a fair amount of paranoia, mainly from Auckland, that was being dominated by Wellington people. Well, I suppose sometimes Wellington people did. But I know I was there, see, solely because I lived in Wellington. Right. And I had plenty of gangs committees and all that sort of thing in my work at the Turnbull and things like that. Uh, I got a bit tired of walking paranoia because she was I giving up my time. You know, I would rather be doing other things, including writing and sitting yes. in another stuffy committee room. So, and, and so that's how I became involved. Who else was on about the same time as you, right? Let's see, at the beginning, I think, oh, Malcolm Mason Uncle. was on, who strikes me as, as right out of Catch-22. I think he ran, let's see, Blackwood and Janet Paul out of business and then he was hired by Reeds and they were running out of business so I think that he did a couple of you know quite quite amazing achievements in that area. Now apart from that let's see my memory goes back to when Fiona was um, secretary mm. and I think Loris was on it and also that's when Bibi was on oh, it. Right. Yeah and they were having sort of an affair at that time and it's the main thing I remember, that's when Penn was becoming a bit more sort of union iced, mm-hmm. of which I was very sympathetic. And anyway, there was a move there to tie it up, become the sort of union for television writers as uh-huh. well. Yep. And, you know, which was a good idea. But it fell flat because. One, let's see, there were pen members who for one reason or other, politics or personal preference, did not like the union approach. And then there was also the fact that right from the beginning, I think it was Hamish Keith, who was acting for the television writers, wanted to, to go for compulsory membership or, or something like that. And Bibi was dead against it. And so there was a clash mm-hmm. uh, with that. And um, I think it was an opportunity missed, I think, that Bibi was too, uh, uh, I think he was too um, obdurate, and I think that Keith was too, um, and I wanted them to move too quickly. Mm. I think it would have been more politic to say, all right, just get the thing going, and, mm. you know, mm-hmm. and then talk about yeah. it, and let's, yeah, let's spell out the members, and all of this type of thing, you know. What other kind of issues were you talking about near there? Uh, well, then there was the Authors Fund, fund. Mm-hmm. 
And this was when they got cross on the board and Ian became president. He was saying, I think, working at um, Feltex, and uh, he commissioned a survey, a McNair survey, which was able to um, provide uh, evidence right. of the pitiful amount of money that writers were receiving. And um, I was the vice president. And I think I was able to play a supportive role here in the sense that I was also a librarian. And at that time, the librarians, um, apart from one or two individuals, but uh, as a whole, they were against um, mm -hmm. public lending rights. And their grounds were that it would take money away from libraries. And of course, it's the libraries have never been um, adequately mm -hmm. financed in New Zealand. Mm -hmm. Um, I might not suppose they're adequately financed in many countries, but they are one or two such as the Scandinavian countries and things like that. Sure. But on the whole, um, they're not, and those were their fears, and of course they weren't helped at all when writers who were equally naive were saying, well, libraries should pay us, you see, so immediately you had a confrontation. And I think that um, it was possible to, when meetings were set up for four media, or to say to the writers, well, look, you know, you know, this has got to be outside funding, and you've got to involve them in it, and to, to, and to say to the librarians, well, um, there's no evidence that pen are saying, are saying that um, it has to come out of library funding, what we're talking about here is central government funding. And, of course, that was... And it was greatly helped, as the breakthrough was, with the election of Norman Kirk. Ah, oh, right. Yep. And if it hadn't have been, I think, for the election of Norman Kirk, uh, no one would have got anywhere, mm -hmm. because the national government, Jack Marshall, you know, they made nice noises, but, uh, you know, went along, went along with him to see Marshall, and he made nice noises, but nothing was done. Mm. done. Mm. And then, with the election of... There was a difference, and it was obvious mm. in the meeting with the public servants, especially the cultural departments. We would meet with a committee that had been set up to look into it, so I suppose at least on the national government did that. Now, I remember it consisted of Treasury, Education, SSC, and Internal Affairs, Education, Internal Affairs being cultural ones, and also National Library. Now, we felt we could have got a far more sympathetic hearing, and you won't believe us, from Treasury than we did from from these so-called cultural departments. That's amazing. And this is my memory. Yeah. Ian's might be different. Yeah, but that's amazing. Yeah. Well, of course, that was when there were there were civilised people in Treasury. Um, let's see, the Secretary was... Uh, Henry Lang. Was Henry it? Lang. Lang. Yeah. Is cultured? Yeah, 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 and uh, and his attitude filtered down. He used to recruit people, not because they're economists, but see, I remember one guy working there, a writer, uh, Bill Morn, who had a first in Latin and Greek, hadn't done an economics before. Uh, you know, he became a brilliant economist, right wing, but brilliant economist. But you know, that was not to say that Treasury was a pushover. I'm just talking about. Yeah, it was better. Uh, a sympathetic. They knew what we were talking about, whereas with the others, there was a blank wall. And then there was the change of government. 
and the change of attitude with the bureaucrats. Let's see, you, you know, um, it, uh, having been the public servant, you know, for thirty years yeah, of my career, yeah. uh, um, you know, it was then when I thought, well, the majority, you know, are not worth a great deal of respect. Yeah. And uh, anyway, you know, suddenly it was all smiles and all this, and how do we go about it? And of course, he was taking the lead, but that was the. Mm, um, it's great, interesting. Um, Had it happened in Canada before here or somewhere else? Uh, or? Oh, oh, we'd have been going to Scandinavia for a while. Yeah, 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 yeah. And there was arguments about whether it should be on on issues or, or on holdings yeah. and things like yeah. that. And the anti-public lending right was saying things like, "Well, why should Barry Crump?" There's always Barry. Well, I should very Crump get all this money, all this money. And it's interesting mm. that when the first findings came out, that it was Mary Webb who was at the top, <laughs> Barry Crump. And Barry Crump might have been about second, but third was Janet uh, Frank. You see, because this was one of the, one of the things we went on, was uh, holdings rather than issues. Mm -hmm. And one of the reasons we went why we went for holding night issues is that uh, after talking to her, well, my mother was a public librarian, mm. and you see, at that time you didn't have you know computerisation yeah. things like that, yeah. and that would be making a demand mm. on the library, mm. and so mm. we tailored it to make minimal demands mm. on the library. And of course, Ian Cross, he clicked onto the politics of that. That was a yeah. big advantage. Um, he dealt with political reality. He didn't deal with, yeah. you know, what it should be, what is it, yes. you know. And also, um, you know, deciding on the number of, of, of uh, pages. Oh, yes, 15, the, that's right. Yeah. Well, it was more. Was we it? Went, yeah, oh. yeah, on the principle that on the whole, you know, a longer book, you know, it takes a longer time. Right. But later it was a librarian, Margaret Mahi's former boss, who said, no, she's a real writer, we should go for fewer pages. Oh, right. Yeah. 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 And that was the former librarian of the, uh, of the Canterbury Public Library. After he retired from the, uh, as a librarian, he took up the position as the curator of the Govard Art. Oh! Of, of the Govard. Brewster. Hmm. Yes, in New Plymouth. And oh. when he died, he left them his collection. His art collection. Because uh, that would have cut out children's book, a lot of children's books having the longer yeah, word yeah, length, wouldn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. Your oh. Margaret Right. You see. And so that's how she managed to get in and do very well. Out of yeah. It was due to, well, um, what's his name? As Ian said, you know, it's rough justice we're after. Mm. You know, you can't mm. worry about the phone. Mm. You know, this is one of the things. And of course, he was a very persuasive man, etc., etc. So I think those were the. Mm. Uh, oh, yes. As in 1975, I went off to an uh, international pen conference oh, yeah. at Vienna. I was very conscious that although, you know, the majority of the members, Shall we say voted Labour or well yeah, to the slightly left. left? Yeah, it was not a hundred percent, and this is what. And so, when any overt political things came up, I abstained, even mm. though mm. I've always been a person of the left myself. 
We weren't entirely naive at that time. Whether it was naivety or whether it was wishful thinking, I don't know. Yeah. Mm. So the question is really whether you focus on the issues to do with writers or the national or the international issues of freedom of speech and things like that. Yeah, well, I would say, you see, PN, you know, for some reason it was it was set up as the writers' organisation. Um, it'd be interesting to look at the motivations of the people who were originally set yeah. up. Mm. And I suspect that being a writers' union, it might have been in the back of their minds, but in the forefront would have been the political side, which is the reason, actually, for the existence of them. Mm -hmm. You know, international. The international one is more, much more political, isn't it? Than the... Yeah. Yeah, yeah well, um, I think really that's what it's there for. Now, I remember, you know, um, I don't know whether Fiona mentioned this, but with Bibi, he, he was an education advisor to the um, Indonesian government. And the Indonesian government mm. you know, throwing, as always done, mm. you know, first-class writers into jail and keeping them there. Now, Bibi had a great deal of trouble with us, you know, supporting international opinion. Yes, it yes. would have been difficult for him, wouldn't it? Yeah, mm. yeah, yeah. Mm. Yes, that's my memory. Again, mm. check with other people. Mm. Yes, I found the Congress very interesting indeed. Uh, when I was running National Archives, I used to go to international conferences of archivists, and I found exactly the same thing happened. The people I were drawn to were the Nordics, oh. the mm -hmm. uh, Iceland, and Norway and Sweden and also Denmark and I'm sure it's because of the like us they're small and they're more or less democracies and, mm -hmm. and certainly at that time see we shared with them at least some form of you know you know social wow. responsibility for the less mm. fortunate and all that you know sort of stuff but you know I'm, I just found those people you know, they were the people I found easier to talk to, easier to have a beer with. Interesting, that. Yeah, right? yeah. Commonality. Yes. You bet. Yeah. Yes. Those were the ones uh, whose company I enjoyed. One thing I got to know a guy, see, an Austrian, yeah, the chairman of Austrian, Austrian pen. If you got the chin, he, he was well up, and he was highly intrigued that I was a fan of two Austrian writers, one, one Robert Musil, oh, yes. of course the great yes. and another one who is not so well known, but who, who deservedly should be a fellow by the name of Hermito von Dodera, who wrote a marvellous double-decker novel called um, The Demons, and has written other ones. And I began enthusing about this, and he looked at me like this, you know, he thought, what is it? Even in New Zealand, <laughs> other people. And I said, well, I'm three or four and he said, he said, well, I'm, I'm his literary executive, you see. You know, I was very interested. Anyway, because of this, I came back and he had asked that we um, protest about um, a Czech writer. I would like to go back and see who it was. If it wasn't Havel, it was someone who was pretty mm. good. And we did. Mm -hmm. We wrote a letter to when I was president. And in one of his books, he mentioned this letter from New Zealand. Yeah. Ah. And uh, I can't remember his name. So we weren't entirely mm. naive about Jacob's Park. Mm.
I'm Karen Hay and this is the New Zealand Society of Authors Oral History Podcast. We'll be back to this podcast in a moment, but we want to remind you that NZSA is a professional representative body which lobbies for the rights of all authors in New Zealand. Right now, NZSA is working on the 2019 Copyright Act Review, lobbying for the right of authors to retain control over their work. To learn more about this important issue and to find out more about membership, visit authors.org.nz. After discussing the work of pen branches around the world, Ray Grover and Alison Gray moved the conversation back to home and to whether or not authors get a fair deal from publishers. Ray started his answer with his own experience. I always felt, you know, Blackwood and Janet Paul, oh, yeah. you know, who published my first novel, mm-hmm. they gave me 10% mm. royalties and I have no evidence of all that they could have afforded to pay me more. Yeah. So you got treated fairly. And I would say the same with John McIndoe. And I would go back to their successes, you know, Barbara Larson, Mm -hmm. Brian Turner, those people. Now, I have the highest respect for the two New Zealand publishers who have published Mm. me. Mm. And, uh, let's see, Reed's made a lot of money on time. You see, this was another thing. Most writers are not poets and dramatists and novels. Most writers are people who write the non-fiction. Let's see, the poet and novelist, you know, dramatist can get a very distorted view of what the author's community is. And, and of course, when you look at Reads, uh, you see, all right, all right, you see all the rugby books, but you also see they published more books on the Maori than mm. anyone else. When you look at their non-fiction list, you know, and compare it elsewhere, it's certainly not. Yeah. Unimpressive. And also remember that Crump, he tried Foot Calls first, and I think another firm, and Reed's third. And, and uh, I think it was Foot Calls that said that we, if we publish you, it'll be no If we publish, it'll neither be profitable to you or to us. And did the publishers have much connection with pen, or were they like no, contract no. terms or anything like that? You know, well, Did that come up when they had got the same? I can't remember much no, of that. about those kind of. At all. I remember it coming up later, and I know that Kevin Arlen could give you a right, lot so of Right, so he's involved in, yeah, was more yeah, involved that, in that. Yeah. And, and what about the Arts Council and the Lit Fund and um, uh, the changes there? Were you involved oh, in oh, that? Oh, I yes. do. For two years I was, I was the pen rep on the, uh, um, yeah, Thank yeah. You. The Burns Fellowship. Yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Right. yeah, yeah. And Ian Weddy got it first year, and I think Graham Billing got it. So, mm. Yeah. So I was on that, and that was that was interesting. And then people began, you know, talking about having elections for mm. the uh, you know, various things. That's right. Yeah. Mm. So did you be involved with the lit fund at all, Ray, or did you? No. No. That's no, I wasn't. No. And it changed, didn't it, to the Arts Council? That, that's right. Yeah, that's right. Okay. I think I was out of pen then. By then. Yes. yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Because there's been some quite strong feelings about that. Uh, I see a parallel between the Turnbull Gun International Library. Ah, oh, right. And, okay. Yeah, yeah, yes. Yeah, yeah. Whether though we've got more money, unfortunately, it's more important to have money rather than representation. Oh, uh, You know, it's a bit like Turnbull again. But after a while, 
when the money begins to be just mediocre anyway, what do you gain? You gain nothing. And uh, I can't say that Creative New Zealand has overly impressed me in the last the last decade uh, at at getting money. Um, though they gave me ten thousand dollars about three or four years ago. So it would be churlish, you know, criticise them in that area. But I think Creative New Zealand has been in the same position. I think the climate of the time is, it may change now, but mm. it's probably been in as impossible a position as the National Archives have, as the National Library has, as mm. all these things are, you know, emphasis on user pays and uh, mm. all the making a profit and all this sort of nonsense. So it sounds like all the way through the political climate is really... I would yeah, say that because context. it was Norman yes. Kirk. Yeah. If Norman yeah. Kirk hadn't have been elected, yeah. and I suspect it's a bit like if Helen Clark hadn't mm. been elected. Mm. You know, if it had been Jack Marshall back again. You know, and also remember that the uh, you know the Authors Fund has been going down, 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 mm. down, down. See, I am surprised that the Authors Fund had not been used as a model in other areas of the art because oh, yeah. uh, it has by far the lowest administration costs and I think that someone should look at the administration costs of the authors fund and look at, at the other thing. There is an arguable case for putting all money for writing into the authors fund. Wow. On the grounds that you would probably be able to throw in at least a couple of full-time salary. Because mm -hmm. all you need is someone with a computer, you know, connected up to library sampling. Right. You see, that's the game where it was very easy to talk to someone like Ian with his pragmatic view and say, well, look, you know, you know, what's the pragmatic way to do it? Yeah, two things Ian Cross had. Very persuasive, presence. Mm -hmm. Persuasive and pragmatic. You wasn't worried about mm. principles and what should be and, you know. What can be. Yeah. Can yeah. Be. Yes, and the final point is, is it fair mm. or not fair? Mm. Uh, you know, in the reality, you know, you can't worry about that. So. Mm. No. See, but I'm not arguing saying that the money should stay as pitiful as it is. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Just for it to be better managed. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yes. And, you know, I've often thought, well, you know, if a fund was put out for painters and they got a payment for all their paintings in public mm. um, institutions. Yeah. And also, it is self-selecting mm -hmm. and self-regulating. And there's never a hint of favoritism <laughs> as who's getting the grants and who's not mm. as well. Mm -hmm. On the other hand, um, I do know it's marvellous if you're a, um, a young writer yeah. and you get a grant that will enable you to write for a year. Mm -hmm. I know that too. That's yeah. why I just say it's arguable. Arguable, yes. Yeah. Oh, so good. No, people have been thinking up new ways of doing things. So right, yeah, sure. A good suggestion. And do you want to say anything about the London flat or not? You, you were involved in or not really? No, no. I only looked at it from the outside. Right. Mm. Um, I have great respect for Fiona. Let's see, not so much for Bassett and Stead mm. and in that area, Lois, but 
I felt that uh, on balance, why not take it and then alter it afterwards? Mm. That would be my reaction. Mm. You know, again, be pragmatic about mm. it. Yeah. Mm. yeah. Mm. See, see, I have too much respect for Fiona as a person to, you know, for that to be interpreted in any way. Mm. It's a personal thing, yeah. No. No, so I how long did much. you stay involved with Penn? How come you you just moved away from it? You'd done your bit? Well, it was a bit of that. Um, yeah, see, for some years afterwards I remained a member and then I went up to Auckland and I ran the library up there. Then I came mm. down to Grove National Archives. Mm. And I was asked them to go on the committee of Penn by Kevin and Chris Puxley. Mm -hmm. And they're both personal friends, so I did. And I went along to the first meeting. So what am I doing back here? I, you know, mm. if I have any spare time, I can do my own writing, and I get very little time. Instead, it's there. Something was said where he implied I was acting in my personal interest. Yeah. I left, mm. and I never bothered to read myself. Mm. No, I just had enough of that. Mm. Yeah. It's a great shame, isn't it, when personalities yeah. move in? Well, like there is mm. no call for it. No. No. And there's uh, a guy who, who with a lot of his ideas, say, on the teaching of English, uh, I agree with Hatley. And I don't mind having a beer with him, he'd be good company having a beer, and, uh, and I admire a lot of his writing. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, but I wasn't having it. No. 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 And I didn't want to put myself in that position ever again. Mm. Yeah. Mm. And you stayed, of course, in charge of Turnbull. No, uh, National Archives. I mean, National Archives, rather, for yes. Yeah, yeah, yes, and that was such a demanding job. job yeah. Uh, all I could do were a few reviews each year mm. and also research on what I'm writing now. Mm. You know, but um, it, it was uh, whatever ever creative energy I might have had, you know, was used up there. Mm. So being, it wasn't so much being involved with pen that affected your writing, it was your work, wasn't it, that was the main impact on the time you had in, the, in your writing, so the pen involvement wasn't a particular... No. It was just an additional drag. Mm. Mm. Yeah, it was something on top of it. It was, mm. it was doing work outside work, mm. you know, in addition to work. And uh, by the way, I went to the Congress because uh, I I had paid my own way to Europe. I got the free oh. hotel. Right. Oh, right. But there was no payment fares or anything like that at all. But I got the free accommodation at mm -hmm. the hotel and free fees for the Congress. But that was all. So I want to make that clear too. Yes, that's yeah. right. And especially in these days of. <laughs> that, that's right. You bet. Because Pim yeah. never had that much money, did it? No. 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 Oh, no, couldn't. No. no. And the free hotel was from the International Pim. It wasn't from. From the museum. No, 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 no. You know, I just needed that inference that uh, uh, doing something for my own thing, mm. and I just thought, no. Mm. He didn't think it was to do with archives, or it was to do with it wasn't to do with your archives connection. He no. said that it was to do with your personal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 I don't know whether he was thinking I stayed in Wellington point of view or something like that. Mm. But yeah. that was why I never ever turned up again. Mm.
You've been listening to an interview from 2000 between Ray Grover and Alison Gray. Ray died at the beginning of this year, aged 87. We'll be back with another episode in two weeks, so make sure you don't miss an episode by subscribing to the podcast on SoundCloud or wherever you listen. This podcast was produced by Elizabeth Kirkby McLeod with audio support by Jana Witter for the New Zealand Society of Authors with funding from Pub Charity Limited. Noturno by Ottorino Respighi, which you are listening to now, is performed by Justin Bird. The audio was digitised and provided by the Alexander Turnbull Library. I'm Karen Hay and this was a New Zealand Society of Authors oral history podcast. Ka kite anō.